Hello all, welcome back. I'm Aaron Wogelinter, and I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Wogelinter, a.k.a. The Father. And this is Around the Shabbos Table. Don't worry, Shabbos was not desecrated in any way, shape, or form in the production of this show. As always, we are a production of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. You can go check us out on intentionaljew.com. And now, come join us around the Shabbos table. It's wonderful to be back. I'm Aaron Wogelanter, and this is my father, the father, a.k.a. Rabbi Wogelanter. <laughs> I think it was the opposite. It's Rabbi Wogelanter, a.k.a. the father. Anyhow, it's very good to be back. And um, I'm going to hit you right away here today with a story. I love stories. Although I'm not a story person, I don't think in stories. But um, I don't know. Do you, do you think in stories? Like, oh, there's a story. Right. Uncle Shuey thinks in stories. Right. He sees something, he says, you know one time? And he tells you, he tells you a story with that. Certain people do that. I, I don't think in stories. Mm-hmm. Stories stories in don't. Mishalim. Okay, you think in mashalim? Yeah. Um, I think in ideas. A concept. So like a Gemara, I'm not going to remember because of its story. I'm going to remember it, or I'm going to remember because of what the daf represents. It represents like, I go through Tainas. We were learning Tainas. I go through Tainas and I say, the first is Tefillah. And then you have Geshev. And then you have Tainas itself. And then you have... Concepts and then things fit in the that's how I think. I don't think in stories, but I do think stories um, do show you a certain amount of concepts and they they project concepts without meaning to and they're hidden there. And not everyone is awake to what are the concepts behind these stories. So we say a beautiful story, and then the person who tells us the story, you know, the Rabbi Crone who tells the story, decides where which message he wants us to take from it, but there's 10 other messages that are there that we need to take as well. So that's why I'm in this like. This story, um, this story thing. So I'll hit you with a story, and I'll hit you guys with the story um, that I've always grown up with, I've always heard, and I'm sure you have too. And uh, try to take it in a direction where I think there are certain messages that are being hidden there that we don't we don't necessarily deal with. So there was a, okay, and ding, here's the story. There was a, a famous rev in the Rechavi area of Yerushalayim who had a yeshiva called Netzach Yisrael, and. This was Rav Guzman. And Rav Guzman, one day, one of his Talmidim saw him outside um, watering the watering the flowers. Again, this is a Rosh Hashiva. This is a Chashev um, Talmud Chacham outside of his beautiful garden, outside the shul. And he's outside the shul there watering. So the Talmud asked him, Rebbe, what's, uh, what's going on? How could you, how could you why, why are you doing this? And, and the, the, the Rosh Hashiva of Guzman tells him a story. This is what happened. Rav Guzman was in was in Europe at the beginning of the before before World War II, before the Holocaust, and um, at a very young age became um, a dion. I think he was a dion for Rav Guzman. Oh, sorry, for Chaim Moser. Chaim Moser Grzynski. and he sat on his he sat on his bezdin, and, and at a very young age was recognized as a big tamachacham. And he was very close to to Reb Chaim Moser, and Reb Chaim Moser was the Gadol Hadar at the time, and 
um, took care of took care of Rav Gusman. So one day, Rav Chaim Moser and his student Rav Gusman were walking were walking in the forest, and they were talking and learning. And out of nowhere, seemingly, Rav Chaim Moser points to a cave. He says, "This cave, you'd be able to hide in it." And he points to some some flowers. And he says, "These ones, you can't eat these. These are poisonous." And he points to a leaf. This leaf, you could it could sustain you for X amount of time. And this, and he went through all the things they saw on their walk through the forest, and he showed him. And years later, when Rav Gusman finally was able to escape from the concentration camps, survived as a, as a, a fighter and a partisan in the um, in the forest. And he survived, him and his group survived on this knowledge that Rav Chaim Meiser gave him. And they survived in this cave, and they survived on these foods and these berries and not these leaves. And says Rav Gusman to his, to his Talmud, I have tremendous amount of Akar Satov to these leaves that they, that they saved my life, that, I, that the way I show my Akar Satov is by feeding, is by, uh, is by pouring and watering them. So, I don't know about you, but I definitely always heard this story with regards to Akar Satov. It's not enough just to say thank you, but you have to live thank you. And one must almost do an action that shows, that shows your Akar Satov, um, be it to the Rebanshon, be it to Eitzim Ve'avanim, be it to inanimate objects, but you have to show that Akar Satov. That's just to stop here for a second. The real appreciation comes, comes only from... Um, the the way that you the way that you treat things, as you can say thank you, but that doesn't mean that you're that, that you're really appreciative of something. Saying thank you is not appreciation. Appreciation is is that with the things that you've given me or the advantage that I've just gotten, I use that in the correct kind of way. So when you give your kid a toy, and the kid uses it to whack their their brother, right, so then that's not. What's your your muscle is always the um, my, my muscle the the, yeah. the crystal glass that the guy puts under the. You give him a crystal glass and he puts it. To hold up his it's table, very expensive crystal glass. right? And his table was wobbly, so he puts it underneath. You come back, you see. So it's very nice. You can say thank you all he wants, but at the end of the day, he's not appreciating, valuing the item. And, and then it turns to us that a kosher baruch gives us a life, and we say thank you for life. But we use our lives for ridiculous things, so it, it shows that inherently we don't appreciate it. So the fact that Rav Gusman was sitting there and watering plants, that was his greatest way, rather than making the suicide da and serving the plants. <laughs> it's like, you know, rather than than doing that. Or, or, or speaking about how important plants are because they saved my life, but actually taking care of them shows that you talk appreciate them. It's not just words, you really appreciate them. And I think that that's, if I were to use this story in Akar Satayv, he would be an amazing example of that kind of Akar Satayv, where you show that you understand the value of them. And the way you understand the value of them is by, is by watering them and, and nurturing them. Right, and that was... That was um, th- this launches into the conversation about Moshe Rabbeinu and Akar Satov that Moshe didn't didn't um, hit the hit the the, the Nile, uh, the Nile right? That just it brings up all these conversations which we know and love and are important. But I think hidden in this story is an interesting conversation and an interesting topic that and concept here that we sort of run over because we have to paint the picture. Chaim Ozer was the Gadol Hadar. The Torah leader. He was not the leader in botanical sciences, correct? But yet he knew 
to the to the extent of what's going to be what's poisonous and what's not. You didn't just know what smells good, what looks good, what what is nice and what cuts nice on your on your wedding table. He understood the depth and he understood really the science of it. Um, and I think that there's a the the concept or a topic here of, of that has to answer the question of why. Why did he know? Why this? did he know this? And second is whatever he knew that he he knew. Why did he teach it to him? And why did he teach it to 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 Rav Gusman? Why why did he feel it was important enough information that Rav Gusman needed to have that information? Right. Even if even if he came by the information, however he came by it, but why was he imparting that information to Rav Gusman? Those are the those are the questions that I just don't think are asked. I, you, you read this story in Hebrew and English and everything. You just read this story and it's it doesn't it's missing that for me. And I think there lies a concept that needs to be broken open. So um, so we, we could start either way. And, and so I, I'll push your buttons on this one and I'll say, why did he, um, like, why, why did he feel it was important to learn this? Did he study it? Where do you know this from? Okay, so before we go there, I want to I take one approach to this and then take it off the table because I don't want it to keep beating us up. Um, and that is, that uh, the Rav Guzman had some kind of Ruach HaKodesh. He knew that, um, that, that, that uh, I mean, the Rav Chaim said that Rav Guzman was going to need this, and therefore he taught him that information. Right, he smelled the war coming, and he saw, and he yeah. knew, and he... And, 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 I, and I firmly believe that, but, but believe that with everything. As we're supposed to believe this, that nothing happens to us. No, there's no such thing as a random meeting and a random, a random meeting of people. You met this guy yesterday who laughed when you told him what your name was. Okay, the, the, I, you're going to find that, and it could be you're going to find that within the next, um, you know, within the next ninety years, or you're going to have to you're going to have to wait until you get to the other MS, But you're going to find out why you met that person, and that wasn't random. It was important. It was important for him, perhaps. It was important for you, whatever it was. But there was an importance to it, and therefore nothing nothing happens random. Akharish Baruch is running an incredible world. You know, people say when you when you scratch the surface and you say, "Well, I know that person. I know, wow, it's such a small world." So somebody once corrected me and said, it's not a small world, it's actually a massive world. The world is so deep and so big, but it's so incredibly well run. Right. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to look at it. I mean, it just of course you know this person. Right. That, that, we, that, that, that we believe in fundamentally, that, that Reb Chaim Eiser got this information because the Kodesh Baruch Hu wanted Reb Chaim Eiser to have this, because he knew that in the future Reb Kusum was going to need this information. So he set that whole thing up. No question about it. Now that we know that we're religious, now let's take that and put that away. Because that's not what this discussion is really about. I don't think you need to look at that story and stop there. That, that is correct. That was that is oh, true. Yeah. That's true because we're we're people of faith. And I'm a man of faith. And I believe that nothing happens in this world without Durbanisham being involved. And everything Durbanisham does, Latavav, it is good. I do believe that. And I, I firmly believe when you look at this story, that is what you see. I agree with you. Um, but I, I think it's, it's faulty to just stop there. Because how do you apply that to your own life? Then you say, then you say you're, you're in the middle of learning, and, and something comes up that, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe you're not in, out walking in the thing, but a piece of wood comes and you, wanna, you, you understand that wood, you, you know it, and you have to teach your chavrusa so that he doesn't, um, he doesn't hurt himself. Or, and then... Whatever the situation is, and then you don't do it because no, no. no if the Russian wanted it, he would, you know, he would force me to do it. You can't wait for those moments. Every moment is that moment. 
And when you make a choice to do X, Y, and Z, that's the Rebonish Alolem being Sibas calls Sibot. He's he's making everything happen for you. But if you're always waiting for that moment, Rebonish wants me to become a scientist, he'll force me to be a scientist. I don't need to go to school, he'll force Maybe maybe you do need. Only you know the answer to those decisions, and you have to make decisions. This doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to now make decisions because Rabbi Chaim Ezer had Ruach HaKadosh and he knew that the Rabbi Shalom wanted him to do that. Right, so, so the Ruach HaKadosh thing, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't know why we have to say that he had Ruach HaKadosh. And that doesn't add to or take away from the Hashgacha of the story. Of the story. Right. But, but you, you, I think you have to look at it from, come to a very human side and say, why did this great rabbi, they, they say about Rabbi Chaim Ezer, that he davened the very short Shmonasseh. And the reason that he died in a very short monastery is because there was a vein on his head that bulged. And the reason that that vein bulged when he davened is because they, they say that he had the ability, he was ambidextrous, he had the ability to be able to write two different things at the same time two, with his Like with complex his Torah thoughts, the, right? Correct. Two complex Torah thoughts. He was able to carry on a conversation and he was able to read and comprehend something all of that being done at exactly the same time. So for him to concentrate, to take all the parts of his head and to concentrate them together, to have kavana when he was davening, was so, it was so difficult and was so, it required so much energy that he ended up having to, he had to daven a short shmanasi because, the, like I said, his vein was bulging and, and therefore he had to do it in a, in a quick, he couldn't hold on to that for such a long time. Okay, so this is, this is the Reb Chaim We're talking about he was, in, he was Kulay Taira, he was an Isha Taira, he was an Ish Ha'am. He, was, he took care of the nation. He was involved, I think, in, in Gush Yisrael and in, in gathering together Rabbonim. And, and he was, he was a, a Managador. Managador is sitting there looking at him and going, oh, that's a Russian iris. And that, like, it, it, it seems weird. Forget about what a Kodesh Baruch Hu wanted. How did he get motivated, is really what you're asking. How did he get motivated on a human level to think that that was important. Okay, so, so I would venture to say that, you know, when we look, we look at, at G'daylam, not at the exclusion of others, but there's some that stand out. We were discussing um, Rav Heinemann, right? Rav Heinemann, who, who knows, you know, so much about the technical world. And when he paskins on technical things, it's because he's, he's studied them, he's, you know, he's, he's looked into them on a technical level, not only just asked experts he's ma- about He's it, mastered them. He's mastered them. That's right. So the you know the the the, the whole Shabbos mode in in well on, break on it open. Just tell us, Rabbi Hanneman. Tell us the so, so what Hanneman, the Shabbos. I'm not familiar super with the with the Shabbos mode issue so on on Shab- ovens. Sh- yeah, there was forget about the whole Shabbos stuff that we figured out, but it's how to integrate that with all the with all the technology. And Rabbi Hanneman learned all that technology. And that's why there was a vikuach about it. You know, there were rabbanim that uh, that didn't like it, and you know they were going up against the you know, against the guy who knew not not just the halacha based off of a of a technical theoretic you know theoretical knowledge. He was coming off of a very practical knowledge. Right. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't approach it as if A does B, if A does what it says it does and B does what it says it does, then it should be aser or mutter. Right. He he knows when he, by the time he paskins. Rav Heinemann knows that doing? A does A and B does B, and the combination right. of A and B is mutter or aser. Right. He's not he's not always looking to to be mutter things. That's not what we're no. saying. But he's able to 
understand and master each component of what needs to be mastered and, and say it over and give a psak on it. There's a difference between based on the information that I've been given or based on how I understand how I understand two different, two different approaches. And there are many poskim, many giant poskim, who we put our lives into their hands, but their approach was more of... Based on the information they, I was given. Based on right. the information I was given. And, and the best of those poskim recognized that their information might be limited, but this is what they were given. And some of those piskalocha changed as more information was given to them, and they recognized it. But, but, but there are those poskim, and I think Rabbi Hanneman is, is, is a good example of them, not an exclusive, but a good example of, of poskim that they themselves... I think Rabbi, Rabbi Belsky was also... Rabbi Belsky, Belsky, very was, much that way. Very much that way. Yeah, we've already answered the question, because here we've said that they have an interest in these things. I mean, if Rabbi Hanneman... The greatest question is, if Rabbi Hanneman wasn't the, the posek that he was, and the manig of of the maverick and halacha that he is, what would he be? I don't know, but, but he could have been a car mechanic and he could have been an electrician. And he could have and been a farmer? Right, the reason I say right. that is because I, I saw with my own eyes, as I was telling you, that um, when he lived on Yeshiva Lane in Baltimore, he would take, uh, there were times where he would take his car and bring it in, sort of into the living room through sliding doors and, and work on his car there when it was raining. Um, he would uh, He would also figured out how to, to place lights in a way that the light was maximized and that he could use the least amount of electricity and get the maximum amount of light. You know, so he used his, he, it was all, that was all technical knowledge and he never, I don't believe he ever stepped foot in a college, um, you know, or in a, uh, in, in, in a te, even a technical course. It was his, his interest his interest it was in just driven, right? Right. right. So, so what curiosity was, driven? So, without interviewing him, I, I would I would say, and I would I would say this about about many that it was their it was their interest. Sometimes it started even before they were just in halacha. Those they just had a curiosity of the world. But I think that and then and then only then realized where it intersects with halacha. With halacha. Right. But it, but there's also the possibility that there is just. That, that that there is just a curiosity of the of the world and how the world works, and then eventually, the the two things intersected. And he fed that he fed that curiosity by by channeling it towards towards halacha, towards halacha and towards Torah. But he didn't squash it because it has to do with mili dalma, with things outside of his you know, of his four by four space of halacha, right? right? Right. He just widened his four by four space to include and to really understand. I myself, right. I, I remember behind him coming into yeshiva with um, strawberries and toothpicks and, and toothbrushes to figure out. So they say there's bugs in in strawberries. Let's figure it out. And what came out from there was Rebbe sat down, figured out how many bugs, what bugs, where they are, where where you could find them, and came up with a with a unique psak for the star K with regards to strawberries. Because he he really understood strawberries, and he got down into the into the weeds with them. Same thing with shavers; he understood what, what the the big rage of lift and cut shavers. What's a lift and cut? That it gets so close to your face that it cuts. He he un, he understood and sort of disproved that fake marketing that it doesn't really do what it says it does. Because he sat down with hairs, and he sat down with. Um, different, remember different sizes of hairs and different um, thicknesses, and and he really sat down and figured out if these shavers do. Um, regardless of is this the only way to pass in halacha? That's not the question here, but the question is, 
Why? And the answer is because this is how he understood. This He has a curiosity and interest to, to use his hands to figure things out. And he feeds that curiosity by channeling it towards his, his halacha. Right. And like in everything, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't know this. So I'm, I'm going to now stop talking about Rabbi Hanuman, but a posik that, um, that, that is a, an expert in um, flavors, right? And, and in, you know, in, 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 in uh, the technology of, of flavors might not necessarily be an expert in some of the other technology. I'm just talking about, let's say, in food. But in some other things, their curiosity leads them to a certain place, and uh, and and I think that the 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 thing to sort of be mad this year is that the, that that their curiosity leads them to a place and they're not afraid to go to that place, right? And it's not because of that it's secular knowledge; they see it strictly as Torah knowledge. As knows that, that that this this knowledge of how a light works, this knowledge of how electricity works, that is Torah because Torah has to be applied to it. So it's not it's not secular. Now to understand it in a on an, on a theoretical intellectual way, that might not be that that to them might not be necessary if they can get all their knowledge from a, from a very practical way. Um, so it doesn't mean oh you see this is their stance on secular knowledge in general. It's not. It's their their stance on on practical things, on the world and the way the world works. Um, it's a it's a practical, not theoretical, um, attraction because at the end of the day, they see it as Torah. And when you go back to Reb Chaim Oizer, Reb Chaim Oizer saw flowers as part of Torah, and he saw this. This was and and I don't know what other things he was interested in also, but certainly in in this kind of stuff, he was interested because this is something that was. Or we don't know. We only know this this one story. story. And because of its hashkacha, hashkacha pratis wow factor, we know the story. Right. But who, but who knows? Maybe he had. Maybe he had. He also took his car into his living room in yeshiva lane. Right. Like we just don't know. Right? Right. There were no cars. But he. So, right. So I'm, I'm I'm comfortable saying this. That that this was not this was not a. Um, Satisfying an urge for secular knowledge, or or a statement about the importance of secular knowledge, because there was no there there was no importance to secular knowledge other than what it has to do with Torah. Not that the knowledge itself has some has some kind of value. So those systems that put value on on secular knowledge can't use Reb Chaim Eiser or Rabbi Hanneman or Rabbi Asher Weiss or any of these kinds or of questions. Or the Nitziv. Or, or the Nitziv, or the Groz understanding of math, right? They can't use any of them as their, as their poster child because their, their, their desire for that knowledge was a, was a very different, it was, it was because of the Niflaus Habori, it was because of the wonders of God's world, and it was understanding the wonders of God's world. It's not the same as Sham Shem Falhurst saying that he needs to see the Alps. <clears throat> because when he gets up there after 120, Kosh Baruch is say to him, I heard the story that you know, he, he said that Kosh Baruch is say to him, Shimshin, did you, did you see the Alps? And what am I going to say to the Rebbe Do you see my beautiful Alps? This is what I'm going to say to the Rebbe And that's why he had a, he had a, a real desire to, to go and to, to see the Alps because it's part, of, it's part of the Bria. And therefore he wanted to appreciate the Bria in a better way. It was a, it was a religious thing, not a secular thing which we then used, right. you know, similar to the the thing I was saying to you before, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it, but similar things I was saying to you before, but the difference between Kol Mandov Rachmana and Gamzul Tova. 
that it's, it's, it, are you seeing this as a vehicle which takes you somewhere, or do you see, or do you look at it itself? Because this is, the, this is Yaakov and Esav, right? This was the Yaakov and Yisrael, that, that Yaakov and Yisrael, we, we, I've heard it explained, two levels of the approach to the, to the physical world. So the, the simple approach is, is that the physical world is there, and it's something, it's a shame dover, and you have to take it and now elevate it. You make a bracha on it, you use it for a mitzvah, you take it and you elevate it. And then the, the higher approach to that is, is that its whole purpose is for ruchnius. In other words, it is a dover ruchnius, not a dover gashmi. It has a physical form, but it's by definition, it's there as a, as a dover ruchni. Um, the, the, by the way, this is... The Chesidah yeah. of the Rebbe that says that... Um, he turns to the, to the chassid and he says to the chassid says to him, Rebbe, we're the same. He says, you pick up an apple, you make a bracha, you eat the apple. So the Rebbe says to him, no, we're completely different. He says, you're hungry, you pick up an apple, and therefore you have to make a bracha. He says, I need to make a bracha, so I pick up an apple so I can make a bracha to Rebbe Shalom. And I think that that's, you know, I think that, that touches, that's exactly what we're trying to say, is that that was what was driving Rebbe Chaim it wasn't the let's take the physical world and elevate the physical world. The physical world has, is ruchnius, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's, in, it's part of our ruchnius, and therefore we have to look at it in that way. And, and that's why he knew it, and that's why he taught it. Right. Because a Rebbe teaches his Talmud how to live with the Torah. Correct, right. He teaches him every part of Torah as well. And this is part of Torah. This is part of living. This is part of... This is a part of the world, and a part of the world is a part of the Torah. And I think that 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 also opens up what's inspiring for me. It opens up, um, it's meaningful for me, because it opens up this world of um, using the world to further our Torah observance and further our relationship with God. And the things that Rabbi Hashem put in this world are meant for us, are meant for us to use. Um, and... And not to be not to be so afraid of those things. So, on a more power level, person has a natia, person has a drawing and drawn towards music and towards understanding music. Wonderful. What is it? What I don't know what Jewish music is, anyways. But what does it matter that it's that you're learning from from the the chachma and the wisdom of music from people who may not have observed all the halacha that you have? Who cares? There's a chachma to it, and you're understanding that chachma to further your relationship with God. It's incredible. Why did God put music in the world? Um, to enhance the world. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful way of understanding. That it's, the beauty is there, but beauty is meant to be used in all shame. It's right, for what purpose? For, I was gonna, for for Beis Hamikdash. That's why he created it for for Avodas Halavim. But ruchnius. It's all created for ruchnius. There's beauty there that exists that we use for that is that is its sole purpose is for ruchnius. Its sole purpose is. Ruchnius. But you don't have to look at. it. I don't think you have to look at it and say music is beautiful because it's an ex- it is an expression of God. Don't try to find the expression of God within the music. God created music which is beautiful because it is a it's pleasing. It can be used for two things. Correct. You can either take it and denude it of its spirituality, of denude it of its of its essential spirituality. It's always going to be spiritual. And that's why you listen to, to secular music, to, to real you know to real music. Are you saying not not Eminem? 
Not, not Eminem. No, Justin, Justin. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but to listen. That's Chachma. One, one of these guys just gave a hundred thousand dollars. Like guy, I think it was Justin Bieber, just gave a hundred thousand dollars to Atzala in uh, in Manchester. Nope, in Stanford Hill. Okay. He happened to have been in in, in London. Somehow hopped onto this uh, this thing, and they you know they made it, they pitched him. Give a hundred thousand dollars. Irrelevant, irrelevant, but irrelevant. <laughs> just fun. But but the, but the point is, is that there are. Two you can listen. Whoever we find out what his name is, you can listen to his music. Yeah, he's endorsed. <laughs> the the um, th- there are two ways. Th- there are two ways that music can be used. It can be used. It can be denuded, like I said, of its of its um, essential spiritual content, or it can maintain its spiritual content. And but but our relationship to it. Is because of its spiritual content. Those the value of music is because of its spiritual content. But if music is good, and it's an expression of God, it is God. Then there's no way that you can denude it of of its spirituality because it is good. Good things cannot be misused. No, no, you can. Oh, you have to look in the office. going to be able to shame him. Deal with the pasuk. Because, because you have to look in. When is it really yaft? When is it really beautiful? Again, you're you're arguing meaning. Yes, I agree with you because there's two entities called Yafes and shame. But if Yafes is also his beauty, is only in a, is is God that is God's expression of of himself in his beauty, then it doesn't need to be separate. Then also shame has the Yafes. The fact that it's two separate entities and it can be used for good and bad, just depending on its context, it shows that things in the world are not evil or not good. Very hard to say something is good and bad. Is secular knowledge good or bad? Depends. If somebody looks at secular knowledge and tells you it is wrong, we're saying one hundred percent. We're just coming at it different ways. We're saying we're saying one hundred percent. I'm agreeing with you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. I I came off like I'm like I'm barking at your head. No, no. no, I'm agreeing with you that it has to be this way. Right. Because if anybody will tell you that, if anybody will tell you, I I could use something as as simple as this: secular music sung by a non-Jew is bad. I don't. I don't understand that sentence, because you're, first of all, you're making secular music into something incredible, that it can be good or bad. It cannot be good or bad. Oh, secular music was used in ways that I'm uncomfortable. It didn't express a relationship with God that I'm comfortable forget, with, it, it was, or did express. It was filled, or it was filled with nivala, and it was filled with things that that, that, that we shouldn't be associated with. That, right, that you can't listen. You can't put it into your head through music. Well, great, I can accept that. I can accept that. There's that there's right and wrongs, but to take things that are not good or bad and to make them into good or bad, you get, there could be right and wrong. Secular music, there are certain, like you mentioned, certain highly inappropriate ideas and concepts and words that get into your head through music. Maybe it's wrong. There's no need for it. It's wrong. Um, but it's is it bad? Because once you make it bad, it's very hard. Then what is good? It's not a good or bad thing. Correct. It's not a good or bad thing. But it's, it's what is it, what, why is it here? It's here for Ruchnis. If it fulfills that purpose, then it, good, we use good in terms of fulfilling its purpose. That's the word type really Of means. right, right. So, so the, the, is, it, is it good if it fulfills its purpose of, of expressing Ruchnis in the world? If it doesn't, then it's bad. But that's my, my attraction and my curiosity about music has to be 
because it's a davar ruchni. It's not just that it's something that could be used for ruchnis. It is a davar. It's it's etzim is a davar ruchni. When it's when it's not used as a davar ruchni, that's when we're destroying it. But that that it's that what, what is it? What's the purpose of its existence? Is that it's a davar ruchni? It's and, for me to come and elevate it, right? And, and really, really, ultimately, all of Gashmis is meant to be looked at that way. Right. We're picking we're picking up on on music and music knowledge and math, but it's everything is it's this everything. way. Everything. It's all a davar ruchni. The question is how sensitive I am to that, and and how much I'm willing because it's a, it's sometimes a little dangerous and, and a little bit of a slippery slope. So how much am I willing to to go there? And um, you know, I think that it, this calls up also the whole the whole secular knowledge and you know what, right what, for sure we touched knowledge. on it, but, it, but for sure it touches it touches upon that because we're opening we're opening a world which we now have to define a little bit, but. Right. You, and again, you can approach things and master them, but it's all about ruchnius. It's not really about the gashmius shabot, because because this is this is a vehicle, something that we use in our avodas Hashem, and therefore I, I have to know about it. You know, the guys in the base Mikdash who used the instruments, they knew how to tune an instrument. They knew they knew all the the fine tunes part by the part, but they knew all the you know the the fine aspects of that. They knew voices. They knew how to how to control a voice, how to train a voice. They knew sound. They knew all of that. But it's not because they had secular knowledge, which they then applied to Torah. But that was Torah, right? It gets harder then because there was no formal formal education of secular knowledge. But we have it with the Hanukkah story. We have it with the Yavan, right? What are you allowed to use from from the Greek knowledge and from their really devoid of spiritual spirituality knowledge of life in Gashmias? And how do you how do you apply that? That was really where that that's the core of this whole issue sits there in in the Hanukkah story with uh, with Yavan because it wasn't a question of formal not formal education. It was just a question of that knowledge. Can I use that knowledge or not? Right. So today we have an added we have an added element of of formal education, which is its own argument, conversation, and more of a sociological conversation than a halachic conversation of what's the right way to build a community, what's the right way to see the next generation. Be driven by God and Torah. Those are more questions of it, and what it, what what goes what goes into being in a formal secular education environment, and are those healthy for a God fearing Jew? Lots of different questions. More, I would say, more sociological and right. um, psychological than halachic. But I just want to toss out into it though that you can do the same thing in two different ways. And, that, agreed, and, and they and they become two different things. Those. You have you have a certain rebel and and, and a certain Rashiva who who went to to secular college. You use them as the paradigms of of uh, you know of, of secular going to secular university and and having secular knowledge, and um, and they they could they, they could be very very different in their in, in their approach to it because they saw them as two different things. You know, as you can see it as, as there's value in the knowledge itself, just in the knowledge, or that th- that this knowledge is going to either help me with the parnasa, or it is going to, to help me then understand the Rabbani Shalom's world in a in a different kind of way. And and those are two different two very different approaches. And I think that that's going back, bring it back to Reb Chaim Eiser. I I would dare say that that was Reb Chaim Eiser's. Approach to life. Sort of approach to, to yeah. this. And and that was that was why Rukhaim Eiser 
was, you know, the Kodesh Baruch Hu could put the idea in his head that he needed this information, but where Reb Chaim Ezer had an attraction to it, it's because this was understanding the, the, the you know, the Bria. And, and to understand the Bria is a beautiful thing. Right. You know, I, I have a fascination. M- Mommy's got this, this program. Um, you know, she takes a picture of a flower and it tells you all about the flower. I have a fascination to know that kind of information. I'm always amazed at, at terrific of people that know that information. I just have never had the, um, I guess, the drive or the time to, to really to develop that. But my desire to know that is not because I think trees are cool and it's good to know what the trees are, but I would love to have that kind of relationship with the Rabbani Shlelem's tree, that I know what it's called, I know what it does, I know the niflos, habori, you know those books. The, the, the ins and outs of it, and then you can really yeah. appreciate that yesh bore lebira, right? There's somebody right. who created this because That's it's right. insane. It cannot, it cannot have happened on its own. When you really understand them, I, I find that with technology. When you understand right. how, you look at a, a Tesla car, we see oh, beautiful. Right. You look into it and you see like what goes into that and what right. what creates it, what made it, what... Well, all the pieces and how it's different, how it differs from a car, and, how and you know that that was the that was it's chachma that developed that the chachma that a kodesh baruch who gave people. So really, all okay. these yeah. kodesh baruch, right? I have I would say zero interest in technology. Right. Does my 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 extension to the to the to the Barry Olam's world somehow doesn't make it to technology, but to to flowers well, and to yeah. you know to nature and to those things and how that works. That, that's where my curiosity lies. And, and that's the, another point I want to make about Chaim Moser. It could very well be that this is this was Reb Chaim Moser's netia. Now, why he got Kodesh Baruch gave him that netia? That's not for now. But but in other words, he had he had that netia, whereas another posek, another gadol, would have a netia to to something else. And some would not even recognize that netia, and, and it's just in their Torah, and that's not bad either. But in other words, they have, they have a certain curiosity, but only within the the small context of their um, of their Torah. So I think that um, I, I think that though the bottom line of all this is, is that when it's about the Bari Olam's world, when it's about understanding the world we live in and recognizing that it's all it's all Bari Olam, and I want to understand him better, and therefore I want to understand his world better, then then that's an incredible thing. Amazing. So I, I sort of turn to the, to you guys, and and then I know I put this in at the end, but if anybody's listening all the way to the end here at this. Then on YouTube, I want you to send me a comment. If you hear, if you know of a story that everyone uses, a story of a gadol, a story of a person, hashgacha prata story that everybody uses for a certain um, nimshal and everybody uses it for a certain lesson that we learn out of it, that you look at and say, hey, it's teaching us something totally different. Because that's what I think sits here. And now you can look at stories and say that. So if you have a story like that, I would love to hear it because I would love to know that I'm not alone on this. That uh, a lot of the stories that people say, this is a story of blah. It's like, hey, there's something else hidden here. Um, that would be really interesting to me. So I learned early on when I when I started giving drush and things, you would look for stories. So I would I, they, they have these books that have stories in them and they categorize them. You know, stories, stories of faith, stories of and I would read those stories and say, why they put it in that category? It belongs in in five other categories. It's not just there. And even with my own notes, sometimes where I would try to write on the top of my notes. What, what what was the main point of this? And then some of those drushes I've used completely different, and not as side points that I tried to fetch into a drusha, but but that the, the that a main point from the drusha was completely different 
than what the than, than, than what the standard understanding of it of it was. And as you you looked at it and you said, oh, this is proving this, but no, it's really accentuating something else. I think that you know, I, th- I think that most things are like that. They can be understood in many in many ways. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Shkayach, thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening and uh, pass the job. And you shall PTC. And you shall me, Coco. Thank you.